So we're really starting to dig into the... Sorry, I think that was me. Uh, we're really starting to, to dig into sort of the core of, of 1 John here. Uh, we've been in this for, for a couple of weeks now, and we're kind of getting into it for real, I guess. This is, this is kind of the heart of, of what uh, John is, is talking about. And really, it's interesting because this hits a lot differently today than it would have for John's original audience. We've thought about the fact that God is love for about 2,000 years. That's been at least part of the cultural you know, overall idea that there's the possibility that God is love. This was sort of revolutionary for, for John's time. And so as we go through this, I think we're going to have to unpack some things that maybe they would have assumed that we don't necessarily understand. And because we've got a different set of assumptions as, as we work through this. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to just read through the whole section today. It's only five verses. And then we'll, we'll work our way through it and, and kind of tear it apart. So first John chapter four, we're going to read verses seven through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins." Beloved, if, we, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So as we work through this, I'm going to take the verses a little bit out of order because, again, John is writing in sort of this circular way, and if I just work through it straight, I think we get halfway through, and then we get our definitions, and I like definitions up front. So we're going to start off in, in verse... Uh, well, verses 9 and 10, sort of. So we're going to start there, and we're going to work through after we get to that point. So we're going to start there, and then we're going to go back to the beginning and work our way through. Uh, so it says, not that, that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. So this is love. This is our definition of love. And the first piece of that is that we can't understand love on our own. And that's a little bit, it's a little bit controversial. It's a little bit offensive almost. Like, wait, no, I know what love is. Um, but the problem with that is if we start off with this is what love is and this is how I love God, we don't have a point where we can check that up against. Like we don't really understand sort of what love ought to be other than our own reason and there's nothing underneath that if we just start with that. We just start with, okay, I think I know what love is and so we're gonna roll with that. And so we don't actually know sort of how that works out. And so I'm gonna... Like we're defining what love is not. And, and so when we look at overall, like what is love and, and how do we define love? If we start with the things that are not sort of the ultimate love, then we can kind of peel back, I think, some of the layers and get to what, what God is, what John is really talking about here. When we start off and we think about love, the thing we have to realize is that we don't really understand it. And so the ones that we grab onto that are easy and immediate, we can't just use that as the definition. Okay, so we've got to realize that love is something that's beyond us and we can't start with what we think we know. So when we think about love, a lot of times we'll say, okay, well, real love is, you know, the way that I love my kids. It's got to be more than that. And the reason it has to be more than that, whoa, we're not there yet. Uh, <laughs> we'll get there. The reason we can't, we can't do that is because if we start off with that as our definition, like the love that we have for our kids, there comes a point where that ends. 
right? Like your kids, you're like, I love them, but there comes a point where you're like, I'm not acting in your best interest anymore because your best interest is to leave me alone so that I don't get too any more angry with you. Like there's a point where we're like, I've got to draw the line and that's not, that's, that's not really love. That's not sort of the depth of love that God shows for us. It's not just natural friendship either because natural friendship tends to be, okay, well, we've got these things in common and we share them and so therefore it's helpful for both of us. And so we just have this appreciation for each other based on our commonalities, that's not like really love because as soon as those commonalities separate, we don't, the, the love is different. And it's not romantic love. We always say like, oh, you know, this is, this is our cultural definition is romantic love, except romantic love is so selfish. And I think you don't realize that when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh, I would do anything for that person. You're like, no, you would do anything to keep the feeling that that person gives you which is drastically different. It takes a long time for romantic love to develop into something that is remotely close to real love. Like it's this emotional feeling that has to evolve to get to that point. And, and even as we talk about like admiration for who God is, that becomes like sort of abstract and that's not the level of love that, that John is talking about here. He's saying, listen, I know that you think that you just love God naturally, but that's not it. It's not this feeling of like, wow, God's amazing. And then that's just, you know, my definition for love and we work off of that. He gives us the definition in, in 10, real love is actually God giving of himself. Verse, the second half of verse 10 says, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That's the definition of love that John gives. So he doesn't like leave us hanging with like, oh, you guys really don't understand love, so I'm just gonna talk about it. He says, listen, this is our definition for love and we're gonna work from that. So God communicated his love. The, the verse says made manifest. He made his love manifest, which is like, it's real, right? So God says, this is how I'm gonna explain to you what real love is. I'm gonna say, this is love. God sacrificed himself. That's the definition. That's the reality of what love ought to be. And so we're gonna work off of that. That's the, the thing that's really, truly love. And, and I think when we, when we define love that way, we've all got a moment of someone else giving something and recognizing that's the love that they have for me. Like there's a moment, right? So God says, this is the moment that Jesus came to earth and gave himself. That's the moment that we use to define the relate, a loving relationship. And so when we look at our relationships, a lot of times there are those moments that we're like, that's kind of the core of what this relationship is. That's the definition of love in this relationship, right? So when I think about that for me, it's Jack at Christmas, right? So it was, it was Christmas morning, he was one year old and we gave him this green dog and he, he just really liked that green dog, right? So it could talk, it could say his name, he loved it. And without Sarah saying, oh, hey, you need to say thank you to, to dad or anything, he just opened it and he looked up at me and he ran over and he just hugged me. And so it was just like, I was like, okay, wow, this kid actually really loves me. Like, I, I like that's, hadn't thought about that, right? Like he's one, he doesn't process those things necessarily. But that in that moment, I was like, this kid loves me and he appreciates what I do for him. And so that for me, that's sort of started the fact that I'm like, my kid loves me. And I didn't really understand that maybe fully before that moment. Like I knew I loved him, but I didn't realize that he loved me like that. And so that was, that was that moment. And God says, listen, we've got those moments in our thing. This is the moment that you define your relationship with God in. Jesus gave himself for you. That's the thing that defines it. That's the thing that makes it real. That's the thing that we look back. So if you, if you feel for a moment like God doesn't love you, God doesn't really care about you, you can refocus your attention on the cross and say, that's the thing that tells me 
what God's attitude toward me is. He loved me enough to sacrifice himself for me. That's the definition of, of God's love for us. And so the fact that Jesus came in the flesh as God in order to sacrifice himself, that's the thing that we always go back to, that as Christians, we turn to and say, that's the definition of the love of God. That's the definition of how God acts toward us is, is Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And then there's that other word in there that's kind of controversial, again, propitiation, right? And that's a big word, it's like a $10 word, and so we're like, ah, I don't know what, what to do with that. And that was a common, a more common word in the ancient world, so when John uses that, that's just kind of a thing that people knew. And the, the idea is that you would give a gift to a deity, to a god, in order to make them not angry with you. Again, in the ancient world, the idea is that God hates you and that God's not happy with you all the time. And that's the, the base definition of how they understood God. And so this was the idea of, I'm going to give God something and he'll be less angry with me. And so humanly, that, that kind of makes sense. And we do that, right? Like if you're at work and you screw something up royally and everybody has to work overtime, what's the answer? You come in Monday with a box of donuts, right? You're like, hey guys, sorry about my screw up. Like I'm gonna give this to you and hope that you're not all mad at me. Or you're like, hey, you know what? I know I messed this up, so I'm gonna swap you know, days off with you so that you can get time with your family. Whatever it is, you try and figure out what it is that's gonna make them happy in order to, for them to not be angry with you. You're like, I'm gonna give you this gift to make our relationship all better. And of course, there's also the idea that you can't really do that, right? Like we understand that relationally, well, you know, giving them a, a thank you card doesn't fix that. Like you still did that. You still screwed that up. You said that thing or whatever it was, and that broke it. And so when we think about it in relationship with God, there's no chance that we can offer an adequate gift to make God, un, you know, not angry with us anymore. Because we sinned, we offended him, we were in rebellion against him. We said, God, I'm going to do it my way, not your way. And he's like, yeah, you can't really do that. And then when we broke it, there's nothing that we could do that would change that. Like we did it and we're created by him. And so anything that we've got to offer him is the creation of his creation. He could obviously do that easily. So there's no point where we're like, oh, I've got this thing and this will make God happy. I can't get to that point. I'm not that good. I'm not that smart or that clever. Like God's infinite. I can't change his relationship toward me on my own. I can't fix it. And so when we look at Jesus, what we realize is that Jesus came as God in order to fix that. I broke it. I can't fix it. And Jesus comes and says, you know what? I, I wish that you hadn't fixed that. I know that, you know, you, you can't fix this. And I demand perfection. Like Jesus demands perfection and he knows we can't get there. And he says, you know what? I love you so much that I'm gonna fix it for you. Like I know that you need to be perfect in order to have a relationship with me and you can't. Therefore, I'm gonna live a perfect life and I'm gonna give it to you. And I'm gonna say, here's the perfection that you need to have a relationship with me. He says, the wages of sin is death. So I know that you have to die in order to have a good relationship with me, but you'll be dead, so it won't matter anymore. So I'm gonna come in your place and I'm gonna die in your place so that we can have that relationship. Like Jesus offers himself as the gift to God in order to make that peace, in order to reconcile that relationship. 
And so that's, again, that's the basis of what it means that God is love, that he realized that we weren't going to be able to fix it, that he realized that we had screwed it up beyond recognition and there was nothing we could do about it. And he said, I'm going to do it anyway. I know that you're in rebellion against me. I know that you don't like me, but I love you so much that I'm going to come to earth. I'm going to die for your sin and I'm going to reconcile you to myself because that's my love. And so when we think about that, then we have to say, okay, have I, do I have that relationship with God? where I'm not under his wrath, I'm not in rebellion against him because I recognize I can't fix it. And I say, Jesus, I can't fix it. I have to take your grace and your love in order to make my life appealing, uh, uh, acceptable to God. I can't do it on my own. I have, to, I have to take what Jesus gives me in order to fix this. If you haven't done that, I would, I would challenge you to do that this morning, to, to allow the love of God to change your life in a way that you can have that relationship with him that you can step out from under the wrath of God and into the, the grace and the love of Jesus. Leon Morris says this. He says, it's one of the New Testament's resounding paradoxes that it is God's love that averts God wrath, God's wrath from us. And indeed, that is precisely in this averting that the wrath, wrath that we see is what real love is. So God's angry at us because we were in rebellion against him. And Jesus says, I don't want that to be the way that it is, and so I'm going to fix it. And that's when we realize what love is. We can't understand the, the love of God without realizing that we're under his wrath. And so when we realize that's the definition of love, when we realize that that's what God has called us to, when we realize that that's who God is, we have to think through to how is that better than my idea of love? Like if I realize that the love of God is this self-sacrificing love that gave up everything in order to have a relationship with me and I look at my definition of love, I'm like, that's not good enough. My definitions are bad. So in, in what ways, how is the love of God better than the other ideas of love that, that we hold? And I think we have to sit on that for a little bit because we like our definitions of love and we like the selfishness of our definitions of love. I can be a little bit selfish and say that I'm a loving person. And then I look at the definition that God offers and I'm like, I'm, it's different. And his is better because he's God. So that's the definition of, of love that we're going to be working with. That's how we're going to start off this conversation. But John actually starts off a little bit differently. In verse 7, he says, he just gives a command. He's like, we need to love each other. And he says it again in, in 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John just starts off the whole section saying, all right, you guys need to love each other. But he hasn't defined it yet, but he's like, we need to act lovingly toward one another. And, and it's one thing to say that we ought to or we should or we think we, that's a positive thing. And it's another thing for an apostle that walked with Jesus to come and be like, listen, guys, this is what you have to do. Like, this isn't a, a gentle request. This isn't a, hey, we need to have a conversation about this. This is John speaking with the authority of God. Like, the Holy Spirit's inspired this. And he's like, we have to love each other. That's the thing that we have to do. So it, it carries an enormous amount of weight. But he doesn't just leave us like, okay, this is the thing you have to do, now go do it. He says, listen, I want to change your ideas about the why. I'm going to talk about the thing that you think about why you need to love each other so that you understand why this is so important. This isn't just command from the apostle. This is, there's some really good reasons why we need to love each other. So in verse 7 through 9, he kind of talks about that. He says, uh, beloved, let us love one another. 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so the first motivation that John says, this is why you have to do this, this is why it's important, is because God is love. Again, our understanding of love that doesn't start with who God is and what God has done for us is inadequate. So when we say God is love, a lot of times we pack a lot of our ideas into what God ought to be or what God is because that's what we want to think about. So realize that we're defining love the way that God defines love and it's a little bit different. And it's not derivative or abstract and we'll get to that in a minute. But Leon Morris says this. He says, this means, so God is love means more than God is loving or that God sometimes loves. It means that he loves not because he finds object worthy of his love, but because it is his nature to love. Like that's the core of who God is, is that he, he acts in love towards other beings. He wants to love. That's the base desire of how he wants to interact with people is out of love. He goes on, his love for us depends not on who we are, but on what he is. He loves us because he is that kind of God, because he is love. So God's not like convinced like, oh, well, you did good today, so I'm gonna love you today. He says, I'm God and I love you because that's who I am. That's core to his character. It's core to his nature to, to love us. It's not about us. It doesn't rely on us. It's on who he is, on eternal, unchanging God. And I think it's important to understand that, but also to realize that even though God is love, love is not God. Because sometimes we get that a little bit twisted around in our brains and we start to think of God as this abstract, just sort of gentle, whatever I want to do, whatever I say is fine. Because well, like, well, God is love. And so I've, I've switched that definition and so now it's just this abstract thing where God feels is a good feeling that I get or something. And, and it's, it doesn't have any, anything to it. Love is a little bit nebulous, it's a little bit abstract. God is not. God is a person, and I don't mean that he's a human being. I mean, he has personhood. He has a will. He has things that he's doing. He has, like, he has all the things that we would think of as a rational, sentient mind. He's not just a feeling. He's, he's a being. He's not the force, right? Like, he's not just out there. He's, he's real. He's, he's got ideas, and he's got goals and things that he's accomplishing. He has will. And so when we put love through that filter, what we realize is that God's not just this like sort of abstract, lovey, fluffy, okay, well, whatever is fine. God says, because this is the direction I want to go, I'm always going to act toward you in love. But also that means that it's not just whatever happens, happens. It's this is the direction that we're moving because I love you, because I care about you. This is the direction you need to move as well. Right, so love isn't just... It, the, God being love isn't a thing where he just like rubber stamps everything we want to do because he loves us. He says, no, this is the boundary, not of my love, but of where you can go or what you ought to do. And this is the direction that you want to do. So God has expectations of us out of his personhood, but those are motivated by his love for us. Does that make sense? I realize that that's a little bit abstract. I'm saying like, no, God is real, and you're, but it feels abstract when we work through it that way. So the idea is this, God always acts toward us in ways that are loving, but God does act. 
And he does have things that he's moving toward and things that he's accomplishing, but he always does that in a way that's primarily motivated out of love for us. It's for our best, even when we don't like it. And so as we are the people of God, then we, our goal is to reflect that, right? So if God is love and we want to be like God, so then as we say, okay, well, if God is love, then I need to act primarily out of my love for other people. This is the motivations, right? So the love is, the, the command is to love one another. The motivation is, this is who God is. God is loving and always acts out of love. And look how good that is for all of us. We ought to act in the same way. John goes on to to motivate us this way. He says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Right? In in the second half of verse 7, he says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So knowing God uh, experientially is more than knowing about God. We can't just say, yes, God is love, and therefore I'm good with that. We have to say, okay, I have experienced the love of God, and and therefore what? Like, what does it mean to experience the love of God and act out of that? Because that's what he's saying has to happen. So everyone has some capacity to love. And I say that, you know, he says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And so the temptation is to say, anybody that loves at all, therefore, like, everybody, you know, knows God. And it's not that, because everyone has the capacity for love based on the fact that God created everyone. So this isn't just has acted occasionally lovingly in the past. He's saying, like, what did, how did we define love? Love is that self-sacrificial giving of yourself the way that God is. So if, if everyone that loves knows God, then everyone that loves the way that God loves knows God. So if you're acting in a way that's self-sacrificial, it's not about what you feel like you want or what you need, but it's truly deeply out of the best interest for that other person, that can only come apart about by having a relationship with God. Like that, that God-like self-sacrificial love doesn't happen, humanly speaking. We're too sinful, we're too messed up to, to do that on our own. That only can come from God changing a person. And the way that God, John defines love is it's not a, a one-time act. It's not like, well, I did that thing out of love and therefore I'm a loving person. It's like, no, it's, it's a whole body, mind, soul goal. It's, it's a part of who you are, right? It comes out of your character. That's what real love is. That's what God is. God acted out of his character and sacrificed himself. So if that's the thing that love is, then to act like that is to reflect the nature of God. And so that's, that's the motive, is that we want to be like God. We want to reflect his nature. And so we want to act out of the core of our being that's loving in ways that are loving toward the people around us. John says, you have to be born again, right? Like, you have to have your, your, your identity changed by God in order to be able to love in this way. John's conversation about love isn't just to encourage us to do a better job loving each other. Like he starts off with or a better job just loving God. Like it's not supposed to be this thing where, okay, well, I do my devotions more because I love God and that's what I want. He's saying, listen, this is who God is. And based on that, your life should change and you should become a person that not only loves God more, but loves the people around you more because you realize that's who God is and that's how God acts. The core idea is this, that a life-changing experience and ongoing relationship with God who loves deeply and sacrificially will naturally cause me to live a life of love. 
Like if I've experienced the love of God and I have an ongoing relationship with God where I talk to him and he talks to me and I, I enjoy him for who he is, then the automatic response to that is going to be that I'm going to love other people because that's how God is and that's going to rub off on me. And then John flips it around and he says the opposite as well. He says, anyone that does not love does not know God, again, because God is love. So this is less of a motivation and more kind of a test. When we look at ourselves, we're like, okay, if I don't act in a way that's loving, if I don't act in a way that's self-sacrificial, how do I know that I have a relationship with God? Because a lot of times as Christians, we're, we think about our, our faith as agreement with a set of beliefs. Like if you do these things, if you agree with these principles, then therefore you're a Christian. Or in other parts of the world, I'm not an atheist, therefore I'm a Christian. Or I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian. It's like a cultural definer. And John says, no, 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 that's not what it means to be a Christian. It's not what it means to have a relationship with God. What it really means to have a relationship with God is that your life is changed and transformed by the love of God. And if you don't have that, if you just say, well, I'm not an atheist and I'm not a Muslim, therefore I must be a Christian, you're like, yeah, but you're a jerk. And you're always a jerk and you choose to be a jerk because that's what you like to do. That's not the love of God dwelling in you. That's you doing that. So being a Christian, like Christian actually originally meant like little Christ. Like you're, you're Christian, it's the diminutive. So it's like, okay, they're a Christ, but they're, they're a little person like Christ. So it's just a little reflection of, of who God is. That's what it's supposed to mean. So you're like, it can't be just a cultural identifier. It means that in some way I have to reflect the character and nature of, of who Jesus was. That's, I have to show the love of Jesus. I said a minute ago that a life-changing experience and ongoing relationship with God who loves deeply and sacrificially will naturally cause me to live a life of love. John goes a step further here. He says this, if I don't live a life of love, then I have never experienced the life-changing love of God and I don't have a relationship with him. If I don't live a life of love, I don't have a relationship with God. And so speaking to a room full of people that are saying that they're Christians, the question becomes, how does my life show the love of Jesus flowing through me? How does my life reflect what Jesus has done in me, the relationship that I have with him? And if it doesn't, I got some pretty tough questions I need to ask myself. The last motive that John offers is, is looking to God as an example and following his example. Verse 11 says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right? So God loved us. God sacrificed himself for us. The natural automatic outpouring of that ought to be that we love each other. So the last thing is that we, we follow God's example. That's our, our third motivation is just following the example that God is, has given us. The argument here is, is what's called from the greater to the lesser, right? So God is, is perfect. He's the one that created life. He's the one that truly understands the way that the universe works. And so if I want to be in connection with him, that I'm going to act in the way that he would recommend, right? So I'm going to follow his example. I see that he does life like he's the one that created it. So he does it the best. He understands what ultimately is needed. And so the more that I follow his example, the better off I'm going to be. 
It's, it's appeal to an expert. It's, it's, I don't know really what I'm doing, so I'm gonna ask somebody else that knows better. We do this all the time, right? Like the first thing you do, if you're like, I got a project around the house, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna either ask a pro or I'm gonna YouTube it. Like that's just what you're gonna do, right? So we had this thing in our front hall. Sarah wanted to do a board and batten wall. I didn't even know what that was when she started, right? She's like, I wanna do a board and batten wall. What does she do? Instagram. She gets on Instagram and she starts going through and figuring out like what are other people doing? She watches some videos. And then she got started and realized maybe she was in a little bit too deep and her brother comes by because he's in construction and he understands these things. And so rather than just like watching a YouTube video and understanding the vague concept, she understands like what's a biscuit joiner now because her brother was there and he's the expert, right? So when we think about that, we're like, of course, you don't know what to do, you ask somebody that's the expert. You don't know how to fix your car, you take it to a mechanic. Like, this is the way that we always live our lives. And so what John's saying is, is God's the expert in living and loving. We need to be like him. It makes sense. He's the one that's perfect. He's the one that does it exactly right all the time. So as we try to walk with him, as we try and, and live our lives in a way that, that honor and glorify him, we say, this is what he wants, and so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna follow his example. My question for you here is this. What would my life look like if I fully followed Christ's example of sacrificial love? And I say that because I already said, like, what's an example in your life of, of how you love sacrificially, right? But it's like, these a lot of times are parts and pieces of how we live our lives. And there's another level sort of where it's like, no, I, I want Jesus to be everything. I want to fully follow his example. I want to live out my whole life in a response to him, not just have like two examples that I can bring up. I want it to be truly what flows out of who I am. I want the core of who I am to be sacrificial love. And so every piece of me should follow and reflect who Jesus is. The result then, if we follow God, if we're truly trying to love the way that God loves, that we, we understand these motivations and, and allow those to drive us to love better. The result is that we actually see results, right? So verse 12 says this, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That looks really weird, that first thing. You're like, we're talking about the love of God. We're talking about how to live out the love of God. And then he's like, no one has ever seen God. And you're like, what? As Grammy used to say, what does that have to do with the price of eggs? Like, I don't know what we're talking about all of a sudden. It just, he changed gears and I, I got lost. John doesn't make the explicit connection here. But what he's saying is, is no one has ever fully understood God in his presence. Like, you can't wrap your brain around that. It's too much. We've seen Jesus, but Jesus was in some ways a veiled image of God. Like we can see what God would do, but we can't see the full glory and beauty of who God is. We can't ever really comprehend that as, as a fallen human being. So he says, no one has ever seen God. Like you can't fully comprehend who God is, but if we love one another, God abides in us. Like as we show our love for one another, then suddenly a piece of who God is that's in us and we have a communion with that and it starts to shine out and other people look at us and say, that person has a relationship with God. And they don't necessarily see God, but they understand God a little bit better as a result of our influence on their life, the way that we choose to live our lives. I can't understand the fullness of who God is, but I can understand him better when I see people that are living in a way that corresponds with his character, that in a way that, that reflects him. I see pieces of who he is. 
Daniel Aiken says this, no one can see God in his essence, but we can see God through the lives of those who demonstrate his love to others. Like I can see a piece of God in the fact that, that my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ love one another. I can see a little piece of it. Like we'll talk about the hand of God, right? Like this big abstract, like this is the hand of God and it moved. But God calls us to be his body. And that means that we as Christians ought to literally be the hands and feet of God. That when we interact with someone, they should look at us and say, there's no way that they could act that way if they weren't touched by supernatural love. That's what, God, that's what John's calling us here. He's saying, if you truly have this relationship with God, then people will see a supernatural, otherworldly love that comes out from you. They'll understand God because of you. They'll realize who God is and what his character is because they're like, that person is spiritual to agree that I can't comprehend and all they do is just ooze love. My last application question is this. Did the people around me see Jesus' love in the way that I live my life? And it's, it's easy to say that I do some things out of love or I'm sometimes motivated out of love, but to say that the people around me understand God better because I so fully reflect his character, that's a high calling. That's a huge expectation. And, and when I ask myself this question, I'm like, sometimes? Right? <laughs> like, on a good day, yeah, probably. <laughs> On a bad day, let's not talk about it. Because the love of God is so huge and so sacrificial that we're like, I, I, I can just try? Like, that's all I can do is try to have my life reflect that love. Because when, I, when it really comes down to it, I, I don't love the way that I ought to. And, and John's not, you know, casting blame or he's not calling everybody out and saying like, you're on the outside, you don't actually love enough. But he's saying, listen, if your character is such that that God lives inside of you. His love will increasingly reflect to the world and you'll grow in that. And more and more people will see God inside of you. The overall idea is this. I said this a couple times already. <laughs> the, a life-changing experience and ongoing relationship with God who loves deeply and sacrificially will naturally cause me to live a life of love. Like if I truly have that relationship where God is, has changed my life, I've seen him for who he is, I understand his love, then what is naturally gonna happen? The automatic response to seeing the deep love that God has for me is for me to, to spread that, to share that with the rest of the world. And so the first question that we asked was, how does the love of God better than the other ideas of love that we hold? Like when I look at that love of God and I realize that's what the definition of love is, how is that better than my other, my other things, that, the other ideas that I have of love? How is that better? And then how does it change the way that I ought to love each other, like one another? Like how does it change? And then as we realize that the love of God is so much better and so much greater than we can imagine, then we start to say, I want to live in response to that. And we love one another out of out of reflecting the nature of God, a desire to, to show God to one another. We start to love more. And we start to, to love one another to demonstrate that we have a relationship with God. 
Like we want to show people that we have a relationship with God and so we show them love. And ultimately we love because we want to follow the example that God gave us. Like I love you, maybe not because I want to love you, but because I know that God loves you and I want to reflect that. And in order to check ourselves, we ask, how does my life reflect the love of Jesus flowing through me? How do I show that, that I'm showing the, the love of Jesus with the way that I live my life? And then maybe more challenging, how do I fully reflect the love of Jesus? How do I fully allow his love to flow through me? As I follow his example, is it just a once in a while thing or is it a, a full part of who I am? Does it actually come out of my core being? John says that the end result of the love of God ought to be that I love the people around me. That should be the thing that happens. As I have this relationship with God, as I realize who God is, then more and more I start to love the people around me. And so the last question is this. Do the people around me see Jesus' love in the way that I live my life? Do, do they see Jesus in me? Or do they see that I affirm a set of beliefs and go to church on Sunday? Because a lot of times it's easy to fall back on that and not to really allow the love of God to, to flow through me. Because again, it's sacrificial. We look at the definition that we had at the beginning. It's that God gave of himself, that he chose to love people that were away from him, that were in rebellion against him. That wasn't the fun, easy thing for God to do, but it's who he was. And so as his love changes my heart and life, then I will begin to love people, not because it's fun or it's easy, but because that's who I am. And the love of God flows out from me. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. And we say that all the time, that we love that you love us. But when we realize how deeply you love us, how much you gave in order to build that relationship, we're overwhelmed. Your love is as big and as infinite as you are. There's no limits to it. And even though you, you try and point us in the right direction and show us the truth, you love us even when we rebel, even when we run away. And you point us back to the truth and you remind us of, of what is good and what is holy and what is just through your love. And we praise you for that. I pray that this morning that you would change our hearts, that we would see you in a new way, that we would recognize your love in our lives and that we would allow our lives to be changed by you. That we would love the people around us more deeply and more sacrificially because of what you've done for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.